Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Breakpoint Podcast, starring myself, Frankie, and Marcus. And on today's episode, we are going to be wrapping up the Rome Masters that just finished up the Italian Open. Uh, we'll probably also touch upon a little bit more of the clay season that we've been uh, watching here in the run-up to Roland Garros. Marcus, quick question before we get started. What do you think is your favorite like season of tennis? Is it like this, the European clay swing? Is it the North American hardcourt swing? What is it? Uh, for me, it's European clay, honestly. I got to say. You know what? I would like the grass season more. The problem is it's too short. I think, and I think we should do another episode on this as I as I'm saying this. I think they should add a Masters 1000 on grass and extend the grass season. But for now, clay season is my favorite. I think that the combination of having like Monte Carlo is such a unique, attractive tournament. Then you go Madrid, which is kind of eh, and then you go Rome, which is kind of like got that gladiator feel right into the French Open. Nothing. Rome is awesome. The yeah. Foro Italico is one of the best venues in all of tennis. Yeah, nothing like it. Nothing like it. What's yours? Uh, I agree with you. European clay. European clay is my favorite. Um, I would say second is the Sunshine Double. Uh, Miami Indian Wells. I think that's a lot of fun. I prefer that to the North American Hardcourt Swing, to be perfectly honest. Um, and then I would say last on the list... Yeah, I mean, if they, if they were doing those three, North American Hardcourt would be last. I think the Australian swing is a lot of fun with the Hopman Cup or whatever it is, and uh, the Hopman Cup ceases ceases to or exist. what? It, what is it called now? The what do they do? Cup. ATP Cup. Yeah, that's exciting because yeah, that's like you know beginning of the year. We haven't seen these guys. And yeah, girls in a while. I, so. I enjoy those like Brisbane and and Sydney. That those are those tournaments are a lot of fun. Melbourne crowd's great. Um, yeah, I enjoy those a lot, but I a million percent agree with you. There should absolutely be a longer grass court season. They should put like a thousand level, uh, tour event on there. And I think a lot of people would enjoy it and it would add some good variety to the tour, but, uh, moving on. Cause that'll be a separate episode as we've just discussed. So Rome wrap up, Carlos Alcaraz decided to back out. So it was a little bit more of an open field than I think many people had expected. Uh, Novak Djokovic came up on top, beat Stefano Tsitsipas in the final, including bageling him in the first set. Maybe if Steph actually worked on playing tennis instead of DJing in his moonlights, uh, he would not get bageled, but that's okay. Maybe next time. Um, Marcus, tell us sort of what <laughs> your thoughts on the tournament were. Um, in the absence of Carlos Alcaraz, what sort of stood out for you? What stood out to me was the... Ability for someone like Kasparu to pop through, because I think if Carlos Alcaraz plays, Kasparu does not pop through to the semifinals. That's basically it. Um, everyone else was kind of uh, performing on par. I mean, Zverev and Tsitsipas—they always kind of have a really good clay court season. They've continued to do so over the last few tournaments. Djokovic—we're going to get into a second, so I'm going to leave that. But uh, I, I think it just kind of left the door a little bit open for someone like a Kasparud who hasn't had the best clay court season, but he's starting to pick up steam and he's a threat on any clay court tournament, in my opinion. What, what are your thoughts, Frank? Yeah, I think I agree with that for the most part. I think it was nice to see Casper get to the semifinals, considering that the run up had been a little bit sort of shaky for him, which is not normal for him by any means. He's definitely a clay court grinder and I think he just maybe was so focused on the hard courts that he hadn't been training on a, a clay court for a little while. And that's probably what the slow start was. But he looked definitely right back to normal. Um, 
in uh, in this tournament. And quite honestly, his semifinal with uh, with Novak Djokovic was better than the final with Stefano Tsitsipas, just to be perfectly blunt. But, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, I, I agree with you about Zverev and Tsitsipas. I think they're always going to do well on this swing. Like they have pretty much done on par with what they did last year which I think is really important for both of them in order to maintain their ranking and defend those points. Um, because otherwise, if they start to slip a little bit, I think you know that there could be some trouble in paradise. But I think the one thing that I will say that you have not mentioned is Rafael Nadal, um, which I think was a very big surprise for many people. But I personally was not too surprised by it because... He still looked pretty injured. He did not look 100% to me. No, and I'm a little concerned for him. I mean, you, uh, I don't know if anybody heard his press conference. I would go check it out because he kind of goes into a little bit of detail about how he this, this foot injury that he has is a little... It seems to be chronic at this point, and I'm afraid that we're seeing the beginning of the end of Rafa. Um, I think that this will ultimately kind of end his career. I do think he's still a threat at the French Open and, and, and Grand Slams going forward, but it really depends on how he manages this foot issue. Because um, that, that the, the foot is a tough place to have an injury just because due, also due, just purely due to the lack of blood flow there. In uh, other places in your body, you can kind of you know move it around, get some movement, get some blood going in there. But the foot, especially at the bottom of the foot like he has with a little bit of plantar fasciitis, that's going to no be... No circulation down there. That's an yeah, absolute that's, nightmare to try to rehab that's probably to be honest now that i think about it that's probably a worse injury than the elbow for a tennis player which is saying a lot because elbow wrist is like that's as bad as it can get foot might be worse yeah foot's up there basically for any athlete so i'm a little concerned about him that's the only reason why i mean shapovalov is also a guy who can get extremely hot and beat you on any day but he's also a type of guy to lose like the very next round so i'm not like was I was I shocked and disappointed? Yeah, but was I like, oh my god, we need to count him out of the French Open? Absolutely not. Yeah, but but I'll also I'll also say this, right? I think the thing with um with Nadal is that against Shapovalov, that's very clearly a bad matchup for him. Like even discounting this latest match that he had. Um, he did not particularly play very well against Shapovalov in Australia and arguably should have lost that match. So I think that like that Shapovalov matchup is really just not one that he's going to be super successful at. And if there's any sort of weakness in Rafa's game, he's going to struggle. Yeah, Shapo's a weird, a, a weird one for him, kind of like a fire, a firepower lefty. You don't really see that often on on tour, especially against Nadal. So yeah, I could see that happening. Um, Frank, let's talk a little bit about. Novak Djokovic had an amazing tournament at Rome once again. I believe that's his is that his eleventh title there or something. He's got a crazy or eleventh final or I think it's a, his eleventh final. I think it's his sixth title there. Yeah, he's if got I'm a, not mistaken. I think Rome is one of his his better Masters tournaments. Obviously, besides some of the yes. hard court ones. Um, yeah, no, it's it's his most successful clay court one. Um, and I think that's for a variety of reasons. I think the main one being that like he obviously. For those of you who do not know Novak's background, Novak spent a large portion of his life in Italy training um, as a junior, and he grew, like I think, particularly comfortable in the Italian environment, Italian weather, Italian clay courts, 
And that's always just kind of been to his benefit. He speaks Italian like really well, fluently, perfect. And so I think he like feels a little bit of love from the Italian crowd. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so I, I think now we'll sort of transition on to Novak. Um, I thought Novak looked phenomenal this tournament. I, I think uh, in comparison to where we had just seen him in Madrid, uh, I think he looked as good, quite honestly, uh, as that final. So it was good to see him kind of like keep that momentum and really take some people down. But I think to the larger point, this is all sort of pointing to one result at Roland Garros, which is a Carlos Alcaraz, Novak Djokovic final, if the draw shakes out that way. Yeah, I agree. He had a really, really good Rome tournament. One didn't drop a set, like cleaned people out really easily. I mean, I watched that match. I mean, FAA, I watched the whole match against FAA. That was the best tennis match I've ever seen FAA play. And he still beat him. And I was just like, wow, this is really good, right? Uh, and Djokovic is one of those guys, and I kind of knew that this was going to happen. We had those few months off after the Australian Open. There's a little bit of concern, you know, because he was kind of losing matches here and there. I said, listen, he is a guy who needs to play matches in order to start reaching his peak. He's not going to come out of, you know, kind of a break and just all of a sudden start beating people. He was a little bit rusty. He's starting to find his rhythm and his peak right at the exact moment. Cleaned out, basically no questions about him beating anybody at Rome. And I don't think, honestly, that there's any question of him losing to anyone else besides Carlos Alcaraz and maybe Nadal if he can manage his foot. But right now, you're right, Frank. If it's Nadal basically... is healthy, three out of five at the French, that's going to be a tough match. Right. The... It's always going to be a tough match. Yeah, the only problem is question if he's healthy, and that's not looking too good right now. So we're looking like we're on an Alcaraz-Djokovic crash course, just like you mentioned, Frank. So, um, yeah, I mean, I can't say enough. He looked, he looked really good. I think that uh, this is exactly what he needed going into uh you know going into uh the french open had a tough loss in madrid probably learned from that figured out alcaraz's game we got to see a little bit of it live wins rome get some points now he's on to the french there is one more player that i wanted you to speak about and that was yannick center who got to the quarterfinals in rome another good result can't say that he's had like a bad tournament there getting to the quarterfinals he lost to stefano Tsitsipas, who like I think A is a particularly bad matchup for him, number one. And, you know, two, Sitsipas did end up getting to the final and beating Zverev in the next round. So, again, not a bad loss by any means. But I think what I'm sort of growing concerned about is can Yannick Sinner take that next step that Carlos Alcaraz has very clearly taken of starting to beat players who are better than him? And that's where I am growing a little bit wary that like Yannick is going to be like a perennial top 10 player, maybe even top eight player, but he's never going to get within that top four. Yeah, those are my, those are my concerns too subconsciously. And I think that now that you mentioned that it, it, it makes a lot of sense considering, I mean, I don't want to compare him directly to Alcaraz because Alcaraz is also a freak right now. But but Sinner is somebody who we've been talking about for a while, been really talking up, and we're not seeing the consistent results that we want to see, and we're not seeing him take that next step. Now, this could go either one of two ways, Frank. Either next year can kind of be the breakout year where he starts to overtake guys like Steph and, and Zverev and, and maybe a Medvedev, 
or he goes exactly the route that you just mentioned where he's a perennial top 10 guy he's kind of a threat but you don't really put your money on him to make a final of a slam or maybe he will but you don't definitely don't put money on him to win the slam kind of going like a kind of a la faa almost i would i would that would be like the best comparison for me what are your thoughts yeah, I I think the thing that concerns me about him is that Jan was improving at the same rate that Alcaraz was for the past two years. And then all of a sudden this year, it seemingly just stopped. Right. I mean, it seemed it like it really feels like he's almost plateaued as a player, which as a 20 year old is a really concerning thing to see. And I think that Jan has also had a lot of things going on in his personal life in terms of a coaching change and all these other things that have happened in the background. And that's stuff that Carlos has really avoided for the most part. And that, I think, plays a very large factor in any tennis player's development. Um, you know, for yeah, me... Yeah, we, we raised that concern at the time, Frank, yeah. when he moved away from Ricardo Ricardo Piatti. Piatti. Yeah. Right, so from Ricardo Piatti, who has been his lifetime coach, one of the best Italian coaches ever. And he also kind of dumped him... You know, usually those changes kind of happen in the off-season. Was it in the off-season when that happened? No, that happened mid-season. No, no, right? it, was like, it was like right after Australia, like right before Indian Wells. It was, it was really odd timing. I mean, I... I Listen, the thing with Jan is like, I I kind of understand why he did it in the sense of everything that I read always said that like in comparison to the other Italian players, Yannick was always very on his own because Piatti is very on his own and like he wasn't super involved in the Italian like tennis association and like things like that. And I think he have really enjoys his Davis Cup time. And any time that he's hanging around like Berrettini and Fognini and uh, Lorenzo Sonigo and and Simone Bellelli and those guys. And I think that he wanted a coach that was just a little bit more connected to that. And I think that's probably why he went the route that he went um, with people Valandri, who is like very much a, a mainstay yeah, of the Italian the Davis Cup and mm-hmm. like the Italian F like tennis association so i'm thinking that's the reason why but at the same token like i i i just i i'm really i'm just i i just haven't seen improvement in his game over the past like few months and in the time that i've been watching him since like from the very start when he first broke out i was like this kid has improved in every single way and then all of a sudden in 2022 it's just stopped the serve, I think, has become a real liability and it's just not improving. And like this switch that he made, I, I really start to question sort of why he did that. Um, I, and... You know what I'm concerned about, Frank? And 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 I just kind of popped into my head. Obviously, Sinner's a naturally very skinny dude, but I think that he really, he really could benefit from putting on some muscle, kind of like the way Alexander Zverev did at that age. Also, like Carlos Alcaraz has. I mean, Carlos Alcaraz was like kind of was if you look at Carlos Alcaraz from last year to this year, he has almost certainly put on weight and gotten physically stronger. The only reason no doubt the only reason that that is very true. And the only reason I'm not comparing him to Alcaraz in that point is because I think Alcaraz naturally has that kind of build to him. Someone like uh, Zverev and Sinner 
don't naturally have that kind of strong build. They just kind of have that lanky build. But in order to endure the rigors of the tour week after week and to be a, a contender at a slam, kind of the way that Sverev has become, you need to put on a little bit more muscle so that your legs, your, your joints, and your bones can withstand kind of the heavy pounding that it takes to maintain that high level. And I kind of think that's why he's plateauing, in my opinion. I think it's due to the physical. I think his talent, his talent is bar none, right? I think his talent is bar mm-hmm. none with anybody. I think you would agree with that as well. Yep. I think it's the physical that's holding him back big time. I hope that those coaches in the offseason maybe over the next couple of years get him a little bit bigger and stronger so that he can maintain and then, you know, yeah, I mean, let's see how things shake out with Volandri. Maybe he'll end up going back to Piotti, say, hey, listen, the, it was my mistake. I think it works better with you. I, I I think we need to give that a little bit more time. Yeah, no, I actually 100% agree with everything you said. I think that him putting on like 10 to 15 pounds, it doesn't need to be a lot. Like it could literally be 15 pounds of muscle would be really transformative of him from a gameplay perspective because that muscle would probably enable him to get like maybe another five to 10 miles an hour on his serve, quite honestly, because he's really just working with the bare minimum right now, weight wise. And that would probably, you know, yield some pretty nice results. And it's not like movement is like a major part of Yannick's game right now. So like if that gets sacrificed a little bit in the meantime, I think that's going to be a trade that he's going to take. If anything, it'll make, I think it'll make him move better if he gets his muscles bigger and stronger so that he can push off more. And then it's really just about the endurance with, you know, playing long three set matches kind of back to back. Or if he's playing at Grand Sam, he's playing a five set match. Are his bones, his joints, his legs, are they going to hold up? Right now, I don't think they can, which is why I don't really put him in slam contention. But if you beef those things up, we saw what happened with Sparev. I, I He's kind of the perfect comparison because he had a very skinny frame too, built up a lot of muscle, and now he's a slam contender. Well, yeah, I, for the most I, part. I also, yeah. to your point, to your point also, like Alcaraz is younger than Sinner by like two years or a little bit less than two years, whatever it is. And... Alcaraz has like a man's body. Like Alcaraz is built out. Like that kid is jacked. Yeah, that's like, Yannick. Yannick has like a teenage boy's body. Well, that's what I'm he, saying. He, he needs he needs to work three times as hard on that as Alcaraz does because Alcaraz probably naturally. I mean, look at his dad. Look at all these Spanish guys. I mean, look at Nadal. Nadal doesn't even lift weights. Nadal's another one. Always had it from the start. No, right. no work necessary. So I'm not saying Carlos doesn't put in work, but I'm saying listen. I like the way that Sverev did it because he realized I need to get bigger and stronger, but I need to work three times as hard because I'm a naturally skinny guy. And I think that Jan is in the exact same boat. And I think that the coaches over there need to prioritize that uh, over the next year or two. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you. Um, my last question for us on this podcast in our Rome wrap-up was about Stefano Tsitsipas, who, you know, had the win over Zverev, which I think is a is a really solid win. That's a great win, beating, you know, that's 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 basically Steph's biggest rival at this point is, is Zverev. I think m- most people would agree with that at this point. But does Steph stand a chance of beating Novak, Rafa, or even Carlos at the French Open? He's going to be going in as a defending finalist. You know, he won Monte Carlo. He's gotten to the finals of Rome. Like, he's had good clay court results, but but can he, like, can he get there? Can he d- get that extra level? My answer is no. 
would I if 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 he played if he only had to play one of them to win it, right? So let's say he beats Sverev in the semis and can can he win in the final? I I think so against one of those three. I mean, he was up two sets to love against Djokovic last year, so I don't see why not. But if he has to beat two of those guys uh, between Nadal, Djokovic, Alcaraz, no, never happening. I think of those three, he actually has the best chance against Alcaraz because I think playing Alcaraz three out of five, he'll have a better chance because of experience because that's just not something that Alcaraz necessarily has the most experience with yet. That's truthfully. A hot, that is a hot take considering their head-to-head, but okay. No, I mean, that's that's my honest opinion. I think Novak and Rafa, three out of five, Steph is toast, um, truthfully. I think Rafa, that's a miserable, horrible matchup for him. You know, with the high lefty top spin like that, forget it. That's a wipeout. And then Novak, I think Novak lives in Steph's head rent-free at this point, so that's a goner. I think Alcaraz, because he hasn't played him three out of five yet, I, I would give the the you know the the dart chance for that to happen. But on your larger point of is he going to beat two of these guys in a row to win Roland Garros, I would I would say ninety nine percent no. I would I would say that's that's extraordinarily un- un- unlikely. But at the same token, I will say of the three guys that we talked about, whoever only has to play one of the three is probably going to win Roland Garros, right? I think if any one of Carlo of Carlos Novak Rafa has to play the other two to win versus the one guy that's going to get like Casper Ruud or Zverev in the semifinals of Roland Garros and then play the winner of the of the uh like like if Novak gets Casper Ruud in the semifinals of Roland Garros and Carlos and Rafa have to duke it out in the semis I would take Novak to win the whole thing because he has not played one of the other three. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I got you. I'm thinking about the seedings, how that's going to play out. By the way, Carlos has a 3-0 record against Tsitsipas. Um, if we look at the rankings, how it's basically going to shake out, and I think we're going to go over this a little bit more in our in our um, French preview. Djokovic is going to be one. Daniil is actually going to be two-seed. Hilarious. Shout out to Daniil for losing first round French Open. Um, Tsverev three, Tsitsipas four, Nadal five, Alcaraz six. So that means Alcaraz and Nadal are going to play either Tsitsipas, Tsverev, Medvedev, or Djokovic in the quarterfinals. That would really suck if... I mean, if Alcaraz has to go through... If Alcaraz has the potential path of having to play Sitsipas slash Zverev, then playing Nadal, and then having to play Djokovic, that is a monumental ask. That is that is a huge ask. And that's why like Novak still having that one number one ranking is such a big deal. Like it just like that ranking is so important because he just has he dodges all of these like potentially like grueling earlier matchups that he could potentially have. The only thing that I will say is, is that Berrettini is probably going to be seated like eight, right? No, right now at top eight, Djokovic, Medvedev, Tsurev, Tsitsipas, Nadal, Alcaraz, Rublev, Rude, FAA is nine. 
Berrettini 10. Oh, uh, yeah. See, because Berrettini is another one that I think would be a really, that would be a really crappy matchup for anyone to play. Um, just because of the way that, like, he just on his day, Berrettini could really give anyone in the world trouble. Um, there, I I agree yeah, and I, I disagree. We'll talk. We'll talk. We yeah. got to save this for the for the RG for the RG episode. Yeah, but but you could you could you could see where we're going with this. Rome Rome has, in my opinion, the Italian Open has <laughs> unlocked a lot more questions maybe than uh than shown us answers. Uh, the only answer that was shown is breaking news: Novak Djokovic is really good at tennis. So I think continues to be, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not going anywhere, folks. Um, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, as always, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, you want to be on the podcast, you have a topic suggestion for us, hit us up on Instagram and DM us at Breakpoint Podcast Seven. And uh, I'm going to give a shout out to going to give a shout out to Pierre on this one, Marcus, who I will be playing uh, at Central Park very, very soon. I'll probably get whipped, but that's okay. Pierre, just know that I'm 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 training him for your match on Thursday morning, and I know you guys are playing a match. You don't just you just don't want to hit. Balls. No, we're just we're just hitting balls, Marcus. No, no. no chit chat. No chit chat. Pierre wants blood. See you guys. <laughs>